On this morning's show, we are joined by Chris Weston, Head of Research at Pepperstone. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, how are you? I'm fine, good. Hope you're well as well. And Olivier Dassier, Head of Applied Research at APAC at Quantigo. Good morning, Olivier. Good morning. Okay, so whilst the Fed looks likely to keep rates on hold, we have some other... Uh, we have some other uh, interesting decisions coming up from the central banks, um, not least from the BOGA and BOE this week. So what do you see happening across the, all the decisions, I mean, including the Fed, the BOJ and the BOE? I'll start with you, Chris. Um, well, I think the BOJ, well, I, I, I know it's going to sort of split the crowds, but I think it was, it's pretty much going to be a non-event in terms of moving the JGB market or the, or the Japanese yen. Um, we got sort of yeah, we got that, that, the information in the, the press, um, the, the interview by Governor Wader on last last Sunday, uh, which moved the market quite substantially. And then the market sort of pared that one back a little bit, uh, and he might have a chance there just to sort of give his understanding about this this, this path away from negative interest rates. Um, but I, I, for me, until we get the wage negotiations out of the way, which really yeah, we're going to get some some previews coming from October, and we're not going to hear much about it until you know, early next year. I, I think the, the, the Bank of Japan are in no position to be moving on on NERP or, or YCC at this stage. So we've seen some good situations, but yeah, I think the outlook will be there. But I think that's probably going to be a non-event for the yen. The Bank of England will raise by 25 basis points. So I, I don't see it really being any other way at the moment, unless the CPI print comes out the day before. It would have to be very, very low indeed. You're talking core inflation probably below 6.4 percent to give us any conjecture. But at the moment, the market's pricing at 84%. Um, so I think the Bank of England raised, and I think that's probably them done. So, yeah, I think uh, Bank of Japan, non-event, Bank, Bank of England, maybe some volatility in the pound, but they'll raise 25 basis points. Olivier? I would agree with Chris. I think in Japan, uh, you know, there was an initial move when the hint came out through that, that uh, media interview by, by Weta. Now, uh, you know, it's wait and see. And nothing short of a... Of a uh, a strong intervention in the currency market is going to reverse where, where the yen is going. We're back to 147.80 now. Uh, it was a small dip uh, back towards the, the, the 146 level, but honestly, without intervention, the, the, the currency market is just going to keep plugging our head at that uh, interest rate differential between the U.S. and and Japan. So let's talk about the currencies. Um... Chris, you talked about volatility in the pound, potentially. Olivia, you've talked about the yen continuing to weaken. So let's move on to that and say, OK, well, where do you see the yen weakening to? Does it stop at 150, 155? Does it go down to 160? Or is there just no way of telling? Um, I'll start with you and Olivia with the yen since I've talked about that first. I think the yen's been closer to 160 before, but that that's, uh, again, way too weak. And, and even now at 147, it's still also... Uh, a bit weak. The the issues for investors uh, is that you know that the the rise in the uh, Japanese equities has been uh, a yen story all year. So if we're seeing the end of that now, and we're seeing a path uh, from the BOJ towards uh, a return to the 130, 120 level, and that's bad for for Japanese equities, obviously. So investors will be looking for that. Uh, if there's a combination of of uh, 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 clear path back towards 130 plus interventions, I think that will be uh, sending quite a short wave to, to, to the Japanese equity market in the short term. And Chris, I mean, do you want to talk about the pound and the yen? Or, I mean, because you, you did mention volatility in the pound, so how do you see, what kind of volatility will you see in that? Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, the pound's been hit pretty hard recently. Um, it's been one of the big underperformers along with the euro. And, and that's just because I think you, we, we are moving into move. We've moved on from a world of inflation, uh, rightly or wrongly, to one of um, you know, looking at relative growth dynamics playing through. And, and I think really since the services PMI numbers came out in the last print, um, and we're going to get a refresh on Friday from both the UK and, and Europe in the pre preliminary numbers there, um, that, that we are looking at the service sector in contraction on PMIs in both Europe and the UK. The UK one's really shocked. And I think from that perspective, a lot of the rate hikes have come out of the market. I mean, we can look at um, you know, forward RS markets and see really – um, since about July, we're pricing um, the bank rate around 612. It's now um, priced at 546 for November. So, you know, that's a significant amount of rate hikes that have come out of the, of the, of the market since that time. And the pound's really followed. So, you know, I think you've got deteriorating growth that's reasonably evident in the UK. And that's made the pound, which was so loved and positioning was so rich, you know, going into July and August. A lot of that long, those, those sterling longs have been, have been liquidated. So rates have come out of the market pretty aggressively. Um, we're, we're trading on growth differentials at the moment. Um, and, and I think, you know, the market's saying that the, the bank, bank of England are done. So, yeah, I think the pound's still got downside. Uh, I like selling rallies in the pound, certainly against the U.S. dollar, where the U.S. is still the exceptional story. Um, I, I do, for my sins, think that euro sterling can rally in the short term as well. Um, and I still like the, the pound down against the, the Swiss franc as well. But I think the Bank of Japan's, uh, well, the, certainly the, the yen situation's um, really, really interesting. I think, you know, you've got a situation where five and 10 year real rates, tips, treasury inflation protected securities look like they're breaking out to the top side out of their recent range. And that should again um, just feed into this dollar dollar strength that we've been seeing specifically against the funding currencies. And, and I think the Japanese yen really speaks out there. So we're in the absence of, of the Bank of Japan looking to move away from really anything anytime soon, um, yeah, that carry position still works quite well. So, yeah, I think if we get into 149, maybe 150, the rate of change is obviously important. Then, then yeah, you're going to get you're going to get the the Ministry of Finance coming out and saying they're checking rates, and I think that that, that would be the point where you look to take those uh, those dollar longs off. Okay, well we talk about inflation and uh, inflation seemingly coming off, but we're also seeing one of the barometers being crude oil prices heading towards a hundred dollars. Um, will that bring some inflation back into play, and therefore maybe some of this optimism over the rates staying steady? Uh, might be overdone, or is there other factors in the inflation story? Um, I'll start with you, Olivier, on this one. So it, it is, uh, you know, more of a problem for Europe right now because obviously their energy dependency is, is bigger, uh, and as uh, Chris has said, they, you know, the growth isn't really there. Germany has got negative growth; the rest of Europe is kind of sputtering along. So uh, energy, higher energy prices, puts uh, pressure on the uh, Bank of England definitely, and maybe even the ECB to, to, to keep rates higher for longer. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the, the economy isn't doing so well. In the US, meanwhile, the resilience of the economy there means that uh, even if the Fed has uh, one or potentially two more rate hikes before they, are, they, they call it quits, there's still plenty of room. <laughs> So energy prices are really more of a problem for Europe right now because it's got no growth to, to balance that with. And Chris? Yeah, I think I think um, it makes some good points about actually thinking about it on a geographical basis and who's going to be worse off. I think Japan's an interesting one there because we know that Japan is, is a massive uh, importer of its energy needs. And whilst they've got better 
you know, somewhat better growth dynamics and they're a little more resilient. Um, you know, I think um, Olivia makes a good point about watching Europe. Uh, we are getting into that point when that gas is going to be something that, that, that comes into its own. But I think in the, in, in, for a lot of central banks, um, you know, we're looking, do we look more at headline inflation or do we look at more the core measure, which extrapolates the, these energy prices out? Um, for me, it feels like at the moment the market's very much concentrating on core. Um, but us as consumers, as households, we feel energy. We feel it in um, nat gas and our electricity bills, but also what we pay at the pump. And, and I think for those refined products as well, they've been rallying sharply. Um, so I think, yeah, the market could focus more on, on headline inflation because that affects the consumer. And if the consumer slows down because the cost of living is going up too much, then I think, you know, the market's going to be a bit more sensitive to that. Um, but that said, obviously, it depends on how long oil prices stay stay firm, how high diesel prices stay firm, jet prices stay firm, because the longer this goes on for, the more likely you're going to get a response. At the moment, I think central banks look through the energy shock we're seeing, um, but the longer this holds up, and given how tight the market is in the crude market at the moment, how backwardated the curve is, one suspects this is going to go on for a long time. So I think yeah, the longer this goes on for, the more likely you're going to need a response. For now, the Fed will look, out, look past this. Okay. Um, so let's just turn on to China for a little bit. I mean, we're seeing some positive numbers that came out on Friday, but then that was balanced by some weak housing market numbers on Saturday. Um, so what, what's your feeling or your general feeling about where China is and where it's going? Um, this time I'll start with you, Chris. I think we've gone past peak bearishness towards China. Um, you know, we've, we've seen, if you look at the economic surprise indices such as Citigroup run, you know, but the, the data is now beating expectations. So it's not, not you know, euphoric time situations in China by any means whatsoever. But I think we've seen, we've gone for our peak bearishness towards China. Now, it'd be good to see yeah, a bit better sort of tape in the equity market at the moment. Yeah. The A50 is, is, is getting to the bottom end of its range. Hang Seng's not looking great. CSI 300's not looking great. But we are starting to see some signs that the yuan may strengthen in the short term. And if we were to see dollar CNH moving down to 720, I think you, know, you may see a bit of a liquidation of a very stretched US dollar long. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not as bearish as some people on China. I'm not particularly euphoric either. But uh, I think we've gone past peak bearishness here. I'm Olivia. Yeah, I think that the last couple of numbers we got were, were welcome news for sure for, for a market that was quite negative now uh, and thinking that the, the, the second wave of stimulus measures uh, had no impact. So, so this was good. Um, sentiment has, has recovered a little bit to the neutral or slightly positive uh, zone for, for uh, investors in China. There remains some big headwinds, right, both on the economy uh, with with geopolitics, with, with global trade slowing down, if we're predicting, if the rest of the world predicts, you know, a mild recession in Europe and a slowdown in the U.S., that's not good for China, obviously. Uh, we also have uh, a, a situation in the uh, in the bond market where quite a lot of high yield bonds are coming due in the next 18 months. Uh, and China has already been, uh, the authorities there have already been very active in trying to avoid a, a Lehman moment, right? 61% of that debt is owned by property companies, so that's where the pain is, and that's where the focus of the authorities has been so far. And, and we're expecting similar uh, news today, with the, this week, with the loan rate uh, decision. Really, that's the, the, the problem they have to tackle because they cannot afford a, a massive defaults on, uh, in, in that sector. Uh, so we're seeing them do the right things. 
uh, even though investors would wish that, given the headwinds that, that are still here and that, that, that will keep coming, um, it may not be enough to turn the second largest economy uh, in the world around. And, and they're still a little bit on the fence in whether or not that 5% growth target can be met this year. Okay. Um, in the minute we've got left, we've talked about quite a few things that's potentially happening this week, whether it's central bank meetings, whether it's a loan rate decision from China. So what's going to have the biggest impact on the markets? And uh, yeah, on the markets, we'll start with you, Chris. I think if you're looking broad markets, it has to come from the Fed. I think unless we see a big surprise from the Japanese central bank, a big surprise, then then I think the Fed are the only central bank here that could really move multi-markets. And I'm struggling to see in the Fed decision, other than a big move up in the 2024 dots, um, that's going to cause yeah, broad risk aversion playing through. So I, I still think we're in for a low vol uh, week, despite the plethora of landmines to play through. But yeah, I think obviously the Fed... Um, you know, whilst we're not expecting any major changes, is probably the, uh, the, the epicenter there. And Olivier? Yeah, obviously the, everything is pretty much uh, um, as high expectation right now that the Fed won't move, that the BOE will move, and so on and so forth. So this is baked into prices. So unless we get major surprises, uh, I think the focus will be not just on the Fed's uh, inaction, which is what is expected, but also their outlook when they, when they describe their decision. Uh, what is the things that they're looking at in terms of, of near-term economic indicators to, to inform them for the November meeting. But I think right after that, and that's on Wednesday, uh, investors will start to focus on the Q3 earnings season that's going to about to start in October in the U.S., and, and they'll start predicting um, you know, in, uh, stock company-specific news rather than, than focusing on geopolitics uh, for, for, for the next few weeks. All right. Well, that's all we have time for. So I'd like to thank both Chris Weston, head of research at Pepperstone, and Olivier Dacier, head of applied research for APAC Quantigo, for coming in. Thanks, guys.